Hello everybody and welcome to the Midnight McBride Show, show number 62. And on this week's show I've got a lady called Haley, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right. Zeno's Xenophontos. Yes. Haley Xenophontos and this week's show is called Haley's Shining. Haley's had quite an extraordinary journey and despite a lot of setbacks and trauma, Haley's now helping other people and doing really, really well. So Haley's Shining. Welcome onto the show, Hayley. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here today. Good, good. I'm chuffed you did it, Hayley, because I know you had to think about it for a while. And yeah. recently you'd started doing Facebook Lives, which I think was the first step in the direction of doing this. And then you got back in touch and said, OK, I'm ready. So we got you on the show. And you look beautiful. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Full of colour. I always think... There's a guy that's been on the show a few times called Sandy Hull, and he has my weekends, coloured shoes, her, everything. And it's not showing off or anything like that. He's just happy. And I think when you wear a lot of colour, because for years I wore a lot of black and grey, and now I wear pink underpants, blue T-shirts, yellow socks, everything. I think it's an expression of your internal world, and I think when you're happy, colour comes out. Mm-hmm. You know. I've just done actually a three-day course called Be Authentic and um, it's all about how you dress and how you style yourself. So I finished that last week. So she went, listen, you've got to wear a dress like that when you go there next week. So I was like, okay. Right. And your hair as well. And that gives you an indication mm. that you're uh, a hairdresser. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But you're a lot more than that. You're a founder of Zenos. Have I said it right? Yeah. Zeno. I keep wanting to say Zeno because your <laughs> full name, uh, Xenophontos is Cypriot, is that right? Yeah, Greek yeah, Cypriot. Yeah. And, yeah, so it took me a while, but it's Zenos. Zenos, yes. Uh, you're the founder of Zenos yeah. Haven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us a bit about, before we get into your journey, tell us a little bit about what that is, because although you do her and beauty, it's a lot more than that. You're doing a lot of other things there yeah. as well, aren't you? So before we get into the journey, give us a brief synopsis of what you do there. Yeah, so Zeno's Haven, it is predominantly hair and beauty, um, but I also support uh, mental health around the Stockport area. So we signpost um, clients if they're suffering with anxiety or depression or things like that. Um, And also we hold like workshops. So we do uh, meditation workshops, we do self-image, building women's confidence. Um, last a couple of months ago, we created a well-being garden, so we can do art therapies, um, yoga outside, just anything that I have that has helped me on my journey. I now incorporate it into my business. Yeah. So, Haley, we'll talk about how we met, and you're one of Liam Brown's yoga rebels, aren't you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, am. which I am. I think I fit into that club now as well. And I met you via Liam. And I was very lucky. I met you initially on a retreat. I was actually doing some cold water therapy and I think you were present then, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. And I pretended to play it all cool, but it was cold. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And Liam guided that. We did some Wim Hof breathing first and then all went into Lake Windermere and that was a, a beautiful experience, you know. It was unbelievable. I think my favourite part was where uh, we travelled down there in silence. So it really got you into the mindset of just, you know, really being in the moment and just enjoying every part of it. It yeah. was it was unbelievable. I'm going to read this list now, Hayley. And before we were about to start your journey, but I'm just going to give people an idea of some of the things that have happened and that you've been through. 
but will you are now as well. And I'm going to read this, folks. You're a hairdresser, but you're also the founder of Zeno's Haven. And that encompasses a lot of things. It's not just her and beauty. You do a lot of other things to help people that maybe are struggling or that have had mental health issues. Mm. But yourself, you've had issues with mental health. You were abused when you were younger as a child. Then you experienced postnatal depression. You also had anxiety and depression later on. And you ended up on a psychiatric ward and you tried to take your own life on a couple of yeah. occasions as well. But on the other side of that, after the turning point and the spin-off from this, is you actually had the OSBA People's Turnaround Award. You won it. <laughs> and then you actually sat on the Mental Health Commissioner's panel as well. Mm -hmm. So this is a just a complete... Success story, an inspirational a turnaround where you've gone through all this and yeah. then you've actually gone on, which is, and I say this a lot, the most important thing, the most beautiful thing we can do as a human being is to turn a negative into a positive. It's when we have an experience that isn't good, trauma and suffering, and then we learn from it and then we help others who are struggling with the same thing saying, I got through it and this is how I did it. And, yeah. and that's what you do. You know, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. Right. So... The start of your journey, Ellie. And initially, you were at home making videos, is that right? Yeah, so when I was younger, we would go on holiday and I'd always do running commentaries. So there'd always be some video of us halfway up, like the Great Arm in Wales or something, of me being at the top, getting blown around, being a bit like a Bridget Jones, you know, like yeah. a, a running commentary. Um, and then there was tons of videos that I used to make where I did like catwalks as well. So, yeah. Ah, I wondered what that meant because I read your notes and I thought, why are you videoing a catwalk? And you meant as a catwalk, <laughs> modelling and parading. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And you were also in a girls' band. <laughs> uh, your own band. Yeah. Yeah. What was that called? It was called Sugar Babies. Okay. Yeah. And the song that you sung? It was called Sugar Time. Okay. Do you remember any of the lyrics? Um, maybe, a little I, bit. I was going to actually just sing it, but that, <laughs> that might be pushing it a bit. But I think it was like, um, sugar time, getting up at half past nine, getting on our clothes, getting out this place. <laughs> That's all I can remember. Brilliant. I never, <laughs> I never thought I'd actually get you to do that. So yeah. you've just... Do you know what? We're going all out yeah. today, so as well. You've just exceeded my expectations. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Wonderful. It was actually our parents that would make up the lyrics. So my mum would make up all the raps to the sugar babes and it was like a joint effort but but we took it very seriously like we used to um my friend said we've got a audition for it to make sure that we were a good fit for the part um and we actually did perform at a couple of little shows as well so wonderful great time now you said that because you're cypriot you know were you born in this country i was born in yeah in right. stockport but cypriot or cyprus was your heritage, is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. So you used to go there a lot on holiday, long holidays, aren't there? Yeah. summer holidays, things like that. That must have been fabulous. It was incredible. You, you actually felt like you lived there because for the kids' six-week holiday, uh, we would literally move over there for like six to eight weeks and spend time with the family. And the family were very traditional as well. Like they'd, they'd cook everything from scratch. And um, it was crazy because if they put food on the plate and you ate it all, they'd think that you'd want more. So they just feed you and feed you and feed you, but it was beautiful. Now, that sounds like heaven to me yeah. as well. You mentioned halloumi, and I actually 
I banned myself from eating halloumi because I ate that much of it that I started putting on a load of weight because <laughs> I, I, I love it. Yeah, you know? me too. Halloumi salad. Mm. Oh. And me the pieces too. of halloumi in the salad went from little dice pieces to big lumps of halloumi like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And myself and Willow, Willow used to make it and we got to a point where we said, we've got a problem, we're going to have to stop this, you <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, we had halloumi salad probably three, four nights a week at one point. You yeah. know, just couldn't get enough of it. Tell us the name of the little village that, I can't pronounce it, Asti. Uh, I think it's called Asti Maritis Village. Right, and that's where you used to go and stay? Well, we used to go and stay in Larnica, um, near my dad's friends' houses, um, but then we would travel over to Asti Maritis Village. Because it was very traditional, you only really wanted to spend a couple of days there because there wasn't much to do as, as when you know, you're a kid and you want to like explore and go to the beach. Yeah. It was very kind of inland, so... You were also quite musical as a kid <laughs> and... The, the pantonics, is that right? Am I yeah, pronouncing yeah, yeah. it right? Yeah. And this is like a, a Caribbean style. Explain it for me. Yeah, I think I've always wanted to be in the limelight. I've always been quite out there. So uh, Pantonic Seal Orchestra, um, I actually started doing it when I was in primary school. And then I went on to um, to travel kind of all over different countries and things with Pantonics. And I was a bass player. So, you know, when you've got those like six oil cans around you, yeah. So, yeah, so me and my best friend, Amanda, she would be on one side and I'd be on the other side. And um, after a couple of years of doing it, we started to like have, you know, be able to do like different tricks as well. And yeah, it was great. So with the Pantonics, you went on tour, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Where did you go? We got so many opportunities. Um, so the main one was the, the south of France where we travelled to. Um, but we actually, instead of getting a flight there, we did like a four day trip on a coach. So um yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, we got to play on the beach. We got to do open air theatres. It was just just an amazing, amazing memories, really. Yeah, Devon, the Lake District, France. Yeah, yeah, you were on tour. Yeah, you were destined to be in a band, I think, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, at some literally. point, anyway. <laughs> you were generally a performer and very musical. You said you were in plays and things as well at school. Yeah, in secondary school, we used to do a lot of like school productions and musicals. So I think one time I was in. Jesus Christ Superstar, and yeah. we did like a really big show for the big millennium as well. So it's amazing. I was the, I was Oliver. Oh. I was the king in The King and I. I was Joseph and Joseph Technical as Dream Court. I, I, the, what they did with the school I was at at the time, I've been to a lot of schools, rather than do the full play, they'd do sort of the highlights, the musical, and just pick three or four of the songs from different musicals, and I would perform those. But yeah, I, I used to have a, a I was, a beautiful voice. One of the teachers said it was angelic and all this, but then my voice broke. <laughs> and then that was that was that finished. <laughs> I thought he was going to sing for me then. Oh, I don't think you want me to, I don't think <laughs> you want me to do that. Literally got me to sing. Uh, you had two funny stories in your notes, Hayley, at this point that I read. And one was about you cutting your own hair hmm. and the other one was about a train. Now, start with the one about the hair first and tell us that. Yeah. I think I was always destined to be a hairdresser. So my uh, my friends knocked on for me from, for school, my two best friends, because we lived kind of up the road from each other. So every day I was always a late one out of bed. So they'd knock on and um, I'd trimmed like my hair the night before. And on one side of my hair, it was all feathered and lovely. And they were like, oh, your hair looks amazing. Wow. And then as I went, I'm just going to get my, get my school bag. And as I turned, the, the whole of this side of my head had just been like hair had been cut off. And they were like, what have you done? And it was just <laughs> literally, I think I had to go after school um, to the hairdressers to get my hair cut because yeah. I just got a little bit too excited so, with the kitchen scissors. So you had a good side then, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. 
And then the other story is about a train. Now, this made me belly laugh when I read it. So tell us this one. Yeah, so I just, um, it was when I got my first boyfriend, actually. He lived quite a bit away and I was really nervous about getting on the train. So I got onto the train and it went completely past his stop. And I was like, oh my God, what, what am I going to do now? I don't know where I'm going. So I ran up the carriage over to the train conductor and I was like, please, you're going to have to turn the train around because I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and he was like, that is not possible. And yeah. I was just like, oh no. I have visions of you going up to the conductor saying, can you turn the train around, please? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of guests that come on this show, Hayley, and it's quite sad really, but a lot of people were bullied at school. Uh, Willow was badly bullied at school. Mm. Sandy Holt was bullied at school, who went on to become a European Thai boxing champion. Colin Unsworth was bullied at school. He ended up spending a lot of time in the woods on his own and became an expert in mushrooms and was on Gardener's World. So some of the things that happen, some of the experiences can go on to drive us to succeed or, you know, to to motivate us to do things that bring us joy and bliss later on in life. But you were bullied as well. And you even give a a detailed description of one of the things that happened. Maybe tell us about that. Yeah, so at the time, I just had my nose pierced and um, they were quite tricky in the way they did it, actually. Uh, a couple of the girls that are not usually, you know, don't, don't usually speak to me, they came over and they were like, oh, wow, have you had your nose pierced? Let us have a look. So I was, like, excited that they were, like, interested. And as they came over, like, two of them pinned me down uh, in the park and then one of them got, like, slugs and then put them into my mouth. Um it was just horrible, horrible experience. Yeah, yeah. Quite often, kids that do that, one, don't realise the full effects of what they're doing. Yeah. And secondly, something bad's happening to them and they repeat that pattern and cycle, yeah. you know. So looking at their lives generally, when somebody behaves that way, it's because they're being treated that way, you know. But that doesn't in any way change the fact that it can mentally sky and take... I know Willow still is affected by what happened to her at school. She was beat yeah. up badly on a number of occasions by a group of girls, and that, to this day, still yeah. scars her, you know? Then we talked about this, Hayley, off-camera, and I think the way to do it is we will touch on it and mention it without going into too much detail because <clears throat> there's lots of reasons why. But you then... How old were you at this point when you, you were abused, weren't you? Um, I was around the age of 13. Okay, and this was a sustained period. It went on for quite a long yeah, time. Yeah, it went on and off for about two years. And without going into too much detail, which is difficult, we, we talked about this, it is difficult, but this is somebody, obviously, an older person that you knew or was trusted. Yeah. There's very little to say to... I, I don't know where you go with that, but there's a number of guests on this show that have actually been abused. A lot more people have been abused than I realised, and some of those people talk about it, and we've talked about it on camera to a degree. Others don't want to talk about it on camera, and I completely understand that, but you were brave enough to say that, you know, it's part of your journey and you wanted to, so I'm, I'm grateful for that because for your story to make sense and for to see the true value of it because your story, when we get to where you are now and some of the things you've done, is very inspirational. <laughs> And that amazing story is more significant by showing people what a rough ride you'd had, you know. So so it's relevant. It's still relevant, you know. From this experience, and this all starts to make sense now, that your self-worth went down. And you said that at school you were known as being easy and 
I got that reputation. And you ended up then, because of what had happened, probably the way that that affects you, having relationships or seeking relationships with older men Mm -hmm. then, you know. Tell us a little bit about that because, I don't know, it's, you then can put yourself in dangerous situations. Yeah. I think when something like that happens to you, um, when someone takes away something that that is special to you, um, I lost a lot of self-respect for myself. um, And you kind of think, well, it's been taken now, so I may as well just be easy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you do, you lose. And and at the time as well, you don't know whether, because it's quite manipulative and and the way that they do it, it it makes you you think that maybe you've, you've played a part in it. Even though years later you realise that you've not. You think, oh, maybe was my my skirt too short or was I being promiscuous or something? So potentially from those experiences, the bad experiences you've had, you were made to feel responsible. You were also told that if you told anybody you get in trouble, which is what you'd said also. You learnt behavioural patterns that you knew would get a reaction from men. When somebody comes along and they, what's the term, groom somebody. Yeah. And it's about control and manipulation. And you even start to think that you're responsible and you're a child, you know. So. Yeah. And so did you end up in some, you said in your notes, some dangerous situations? I'm assuming then you just, you're in the company of much older men in situations where maybe nobody knows where you are because you're doing it in secret, this kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then obviously that then led on to like toxic relationships as well. So it all just plays a massive kind of knock-on effect with, yeah. with it. I think a common pattern is if somebody's abused when they're younger and then, like you said, that you lose this sense of self-worth, you feel used, you know, you don't feel value anymore. And then quite often then there's this pattern of toxic relationships. For example, I know a lady who's had a series, one after the other after the other, of the men that she'd been with that, that have been violent, and I mean physically violent, mental abuse as well, over and over. And you'd think that this pattern, how could it keep happening? But I think these kind of men can spot women that are vulnerable, you know, yeah. uh, and they take advantage of that. Definitely. And I think as well, when you come in from like a place of rejection, even though I knew the relationship that I was in wasn't right, There'd be times where I'd tell him to leave and then as he'd go to pack his stuff to walk out the door, I'd almost be begging him to come back because I couldn't ever imagine being being rejected or abandoned. So yeah. you just, you put up with it. And there'd be times where we'd go into a nightclub and he'd, he'd make me stand at the opposite side so that I wasn't stood next to him because um, he was ashamed of me and things like that. But you just you just put up with it because you think that's the norm. At the age of 16, you met the father of your son <laughs> in a nightclub in Stockport. What was it called? Heaven and Hell. Yeah, that's quite apt, isn't it? <laughs> and you conceived your son in Blackpool. Yeah, your son being Marley, is that yeah. right? Yeah. And you said in your notes, classy, hey, in a little hotel in Blackpool somewhere. <laughs> yeah. On your 18th birthday, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. You don't remember the name of the hotel, though? I don't. I've actually still got the business card because I'll never forget it. But yeah, I can't remember the name. I just know it was quite run down. So at 19 year old, you, you've got a son, Marley. And he's how old now, Hayley? 15 years old. And you're how old now? 34. 34. So you've got this beautiful son, 
but you're you're 19 years old, and you said I think that a lot of your your friends were going on holidays, going abroad, doing this kind of thing, and obviously it's a lot of responsibility for a young lady. You did say when you gave birth to Marley, it was the best day of your life. Do you mean that because the experience was wonderful, or do you mean that because it gave you Marley or both? Well, one was relief <laughs> after being in labour for so long. But no, it was just an amazing moment. Like me and my mum were there and we just cried our eyes out and I looked at him and thought, wow, this 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 baby's mine. You know, it's just, a, just completely overwhelmed. Yeah. After that, you had postnatal depression. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know a lot about that. I know about depression because I've been depressed, but postnatal depression... Quite often, from what I've seen, it, it can be quite drastic. You know, maybe tell, tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, so some days you wake up and you know you should be feeling those maternal instincts, but you're not because your emotions are everywhere. Um, and, you know, when you've got a young a young baby, they can cry a lot. And yeah. you think, I've, I've, I've cleaned them, I've changed them, I've fed them, and they're still crying. And if you think, I was still like a child myself. Yeah. So it, yeah. was just, it was just quite overwhelming, to be honest. We then... At this point, living with Marley's dad. Yeah. And this is when you said that you used to go out, you'd take your shoes off and just go and run in the park. Yeah. As soon yeah. as Marley's dad would get home from work, I just needed some relief. So I would take my shoes off and I would just run to the nearest field and just run over the grass just to feel like I had some kind of freedom, if you know yeah. what I mean. I can relate to that. I definitely think that when I have high levels of stress or when I'm not coping very well and I feel suffocated, trapped, anxious, irritable, when I'm, when I'm not good, then taking my shoes off, grounding or earthing and being in nature is wonderful. At the time, I didn't even know that was a thing. It was just my instincts were like, you need to get away, you need to do this. And it wasn't any fault of Marley's, obviously. It was just postnatal depression. It's an illness. At this part of your journey, Haley, you then, you find out something that sort of knocks you off your feet a little bit and that is that, your dad mm. is not your dad. Yeah. Now, a couple of questions about this, really, because it's quite interesting. I'm assuming, although that might be the case, you came across it by accident, how did this affect your relationship with him? Because he, he still loves you like a daughter, surely? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I found out, there was an email that he'd messaged to his friend and I just stumbled across it one day. Um, so when actually he first he first found out that I knew, he came running around to my sister's house and there was a gate in between us and he was shouting at me as if to say, I can't believe you've been on my computer and looked at my files. And I was on the other side of the gate and it was lucky at the time because my, my dad had a bit of a temper. And, um, and I just screamed out, crying to him, saying like, I can't believe you're not my dad. And it was, it was devastating really because... All these years, I, I always thought that that he was he was my dad, and he wasn't. And yeah. I mean, it was weird because you know I should have known because I look completely different to my brothers and sisters. They look Greek. They've got you know the hair, the nose, everything, and I was different. But in a way, he took you as his own. He loved you as his own. He treated you like any father treats a daughter. So it's still beautiful. Yeah, my mum actually said, Haley, he's even treated you with more love. You know, yeah, it's amazing. And is he he's still in your life then? Yeah, yeah, he is. So, I mean, to be honest, whether somebody's your biological father or not, at that age, it, it might be significant. But now, it's about the people that love you. They're, yeah. 
they're your family, aren't they? You know, whether yeah. whether he's your biological dad or not. I mean, he's he's raised you as a daughter and loves you. So Marley comes into the story a bit more now. So Marley's aged three, and you've split up with his dad at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a flat of your own. Is that right? So yeah. take it from there. Yeah, so um, me and Marley got a flat of our own and it, we used to actually play Michael Bublé. That was our favourite album at the time. And we'd play it and we'd be like, I'd be painting all the house. And I just felt like a real strong sense of achievement that I'd actually gone out and I'd got my own place to live in. Um, yeah, that was, our fir- that was our first house. Yeah, it's quite exciting when you get your first gaff as well, isn't it, you know? Um, but you had a lot of noisy neighbours and yeah. somebody, I don't know, is it above or below above, that? Yeah, above. Yeah. yeah. That was domestic violence that you could hear? Yeah, so it was it was a shame, really, because the flat that we'd got, it was five minutes from work. Um, it was really affordable. It had a huge garden. So I loved it there. Um, and then about a month in, some neighbours moved in upstairs and they started to have house parties. Uh, then there was domestic violence. Um, and then we got the... Uh, the council said to us, the only way we can get them evicted is if you put a sound, like a sound recorder in. But I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to cause any fuss because obviously I'm I'm a single parent with Marley. So in the end, yeah, me and Marley ended up having to leave and go back to my mum's house, which was a real shame. This is about the time when you open your the first salon with yeah. your friend. And the name, Ugly Betty's, where did that come from? <laughs> that was actually my friend's um, idea, yeah. She just always wanted a shop called Ugly Betty's, which I thought was pretty quick. There's a TV programme, isn't there, called Ugly Betty? Is it yeah. Ugly Betty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was named after that, yeah. That salon, you actually ran it for about five years. Yeah. And at this point, you're with another guy. You have a new partner. And this isn't going well either. This is another toxic relationship, an abusive relationship. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, a bit more kind of emotionally abusive. Yeah, it doesn't have to be physical, but yeah, yeah, somebody not treating you very well. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, he said that if you're in a nightclub that don't stand near me kind of thing, because he was embarrassed and, you know, this kind of treatment, you know, so not a very nice man. Now, this is a topic I'm very well versed on, and that is having a breakdown. I've had two when I was... In my early 40s, about 41, I had my first breakdown. I couldn't function, I couldn't cope, couldn't be around people. I just fell apart at the seams in every possible way. And I was depressed and, yeah, I was in a bad place. I then had a second breakdown, which was about two and a half, three years ago, two and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. And you think when you've had one that it won't happen again and it's all fine, but you can be once you've had one, you can be very susceptible to have another, but... The good thing is, once you've had one or two, you then learn to recognise the signs of when you ain't feeling good and when you start moving out of alignment and hopefully have the skills to pull yourself back. So I still have wobbles and bad days and things. Not that often, but if I do and I don't feel good, I try and stop what I'm doing and I've learned some skills and techniques to get myself back on track. So, Hayley, you had a mental breakdown too. So tell us a bit about this and why it happened and what happened. Yeah, for me, I think it was quite situational because in the space of one month, um, I broke up with my, my partner that I've been with for five years. I um, I lost my business because me and my business partner were best friends, but it didn't work out between us. Yeah. And then because of that, this gorgeous house that I've been renting in Disbury, my dream house, I had to let that go because when I had my breakdown, 
I was literally bed bound for a couple of months, so yeah. I couldn't I couldn't pay the bills or anything. So I moved back in with my mum. Yeah, when I had my first breakdown, I didn't go outside for a couple of months. I didn't. Yeah. I did not. Didn't open the curtains, you know, getting up, being motivated to get up and have a shower and just get out of bed, you know, was difficult. I just had no energy. I was so out of alignment. My external world and my actions were way of alignment with how I felt inside and the shell cracked. Yeah. For me, how it happened was I was doing hairdressing and I literally passed out and I didn't know what it was and that was the start of the panic attacks. And then when I was got to my mum's house... Um, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd feel like there was like a massive weight on my shoulders. And there was one occasion where I think it was my birthday and Marley had came in and was like, mom, I've got you a birthday card. And honest to God, I was facing towards the wall. And I remember not physically being able to pick my head up to turn it the other way to look at the card he got me. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't move out of bed. I mean, it's like my entire body had shut down. Um, and then I had to learn then um, kind of, Marley would get me up every morning and my mum would help me to get dressed and they'd help me to do my teeth because it's like my brain had just forgot how to do everything. Yeah. I developed a stutter for a period. I ended up mm. having a really bad stutter. I could just couldn't speak. And I started having very bad anxiety consistently. And that feeling in your stomach, that sense mm. of impending doom and dread is horrendous. Yeah. And panic attacks. I'd never really had them before that. And I had full-blown panic attacks and and that's terrifying as well and yeah. you know you think you're gonna die yeah so yeah it's a it's a difficult period this is then leading into when you try to take your own life early yeah. as well we don't have to go into this any more than you want to i don't want you to make you feel uncomfortable but yeah. you said you were okay to talk about it yeah. yeah so i mean just roll with it tell us about it for me i found that the the medication that I was taking at the time, the more that they'd give me, I was get, becoming more and more numb. So even though I was trying to get better, I couldn't feel happiness and I couldn't feel sadness. Yeah. So even though I tried to go and do exercise and things like that to increase the serotonin, it just wasn't working. What, what so were you taking? I was taking a high level of uh, propanolol yeah. um, and then duloxetine, which is like an antidepressant. Yeah. And at the time, I had this deep knowing that it wasn't serving me, but it was all we knew, you know, to, to do at the time. So, yeah, I was at mum and dad's house and my dad would have to hide all the knives out of the cupboard because any chance I'd get, I'd try and um, cut my wrist. Yeah. Um, and then they'd also have to keep the front door locked because any opportunity that I got, I'd try and run out in front of a bus. Yeah. And then one day after doing... Um, I actually we're still doing hairdressing at the time. I left the salon and I just drove and drove and drove. And I sent a letter, uh, like a message to all my friends saying, that's it, I've had enough. And I turned my phone off. Um, my, my irrational side of my brain was just not thinking straight at all. Yeah, that would have put the fear in, of God into everybody that knew you. Yeah. Because it's one thing, if somebody's going to take their own life and... You find out afterwards, there's nothing you can do. If, however, somebody pre-warns you or behaves in a way where you think they're about to take their life and you can't find them, it's, it's you know, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it only actually took my friend. I turned my phone back on for a split minute and a guy that I'd not spoke to for years was ringing me and it's as if my rational side of my brain just switched on. I was like, oh, what does he want? And he answered my phone and he said, where are you? 
And the way he had to do it was he acted like he didn't know anything about it. And he'd say, right, I'm going to come and see you and we'll drive to Blackpool. And he had to just try to play the game a little bit. Yeah. And then he arrived and then went back to his. And then the, the police arrived the next day to take me to hospital. Okay. So you ended up on a, a psychiatric ward. Yeah. And which which one were you on? I think it's Fairfield. Okay. Where is that? Berry. 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 Could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I know a lot of people. Not everybody talks about it, but a lot of people that have been on a psychiatric ward. Some have gone there voluntarily. Others have been sectioned, and these are people that you wouldn't necessarily know. You know, people that are, are having a very successful and. When I say success, it's nothing to do with money. When I say success, I'm on about people that are enjoying the life, that are happy. And people that are having a very happy, joyful, successful life now. So it's something I say quite often at the part of nearly every show is when we talk about somebody's journey, your past doesn't define you. It's just your view on the journey to this present moment. It's just how you arrived here. This is what it's all about now. You know, and so this is why your story is so relevant, because although we're talking about a lot of trauma and issues you've had, then we're going to tell everybody shortly about what you've done since. For everyone that knows me, they know that I'm quite scared of hospitals. So to be in there, it was quite um, a harrowing experience. And there was one girl in there in particular, and we're still friends to this day. She's called CJ. And she had a couple of different illnesses. Uh, one of the main ones was personality disorder. Yeah. And she's just kind of lived in hospitals all of her life. It's, it's been unbelievable. But she was such an inspiration to me because no matter what she was going through at the time, when I was in that hospital and I was scared, she was there for me every minute of the day. She'd be hugging me and she'd be saying, you're all right. And it was just, it was incredible to see someone's strength of, of how she can be with me when... She's got her own issues. It's funny. She sounds like your guardian angel and these people can appear from the places when you least expect them, where you least expect them. Quite often, I know you'll have an experience and you'll think, whatever happens, I know they'll be there for me. I know this person will step up. And they don't. But then what you can have is somebody you've only known for five minutes or even a complete stranger will do anything for you and help you. And it's that restores my faith in humanity when another human being will, will help another human being regardless of, you know, whether they knew them or not. You know, it's, that's humanity acting as one, isn't it? When another human being helps another human being, not because they're friends, not because they know each other, not because they're related, because it's, a, it's another person. Is CJ the person's wedding you went to in Croatia? No, it isn't actually. Um, so that was Amanda, my best friend that I've grown up with since being young, the one that started up the Sugar Babies. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was amazing. And that was my main focus to getting better as well, because I knew for a fact that I had to be a bridesmaid on the day of a wedding. So my main focus was, okay, I've got to get back into hairdressing. I've got to get better. I've got to raise enough funds to get over to Croatia. And I did. Um, and actually that helped me a lot with my recovery because... I think with my mum, when I was poorly, she kind of, mums do this, but she mullicuddled me a lot and let me off with a lot of things. Whereas when I got on holiday with me and Marley, I had to get up every day and get Marley ready and and sort the wedding out with my friend and things like that. So it it made me, they gave me kind of tough love, my friends, to, to kind of get me through it. And then when I got back from Croatia, that's when I actually decided to start weaning myself off the antidepressants. So yeah. it massively helped me that holiday. 
Can I just ask, are the sugar, sugar babies going back on tour again? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, well, there might be a reunion or something. I am now about to read a list of therapies, alternative therapies and alternative healing and general well-being activities that you've been involved with since this point in Croatia. You went on a, a roller coaster ride and then you came off the antidepressants, put yourself back together again using a plethora of different techniques. And I'm going to read the list because it's so fucking big. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to Manjushri Kadampa Meditation Retreat in Overston. I've spent on and off two, three years there. I practically lived there at one point, you know, a, a place of healing, beautiful place. And I'll just say hello to Cho Sang, Yangden, Sang Chen and Dari. Kel Sang, of course. Yes. Women's Centre for Counselling and CBT, Exercising and Nutrition. A 21-day gut health programme, which can be amazing. Landmark Forum in London. Cambo Medicine, Release Anger and Trauma. And uh, I've done Cambo and they call it the Warrior Path because you're really sick <laughs> when you have it. But uh, it shifts trapped energies and it's a great experience. Wonderful. Breathwork. Contribution and getting out of my own head. Cooked for homeless, pampadies, food cycle, etc. So by helping others, you, I, I say from charity comes clarity. Helping others is quite often the best way to help yourself. Yeah. You know. UPW Tony Robbins four-day course. What's UPW? Unleash the power within. Okay. EFT, that's tapping. I've had an expert in EFT on the show, Rachel Jacobson, and she's all about energy medicine. She's fascinating. IFS therapy, what's that? Internal family systems. Okay. Integrate all parts of shadow side and the inner child work. That's within that. Timeline therapy and NLP. Tantra workshops. Health boundary workshops. Listening daily to motivational speakers, which includes Tony Robbins and wait for it. Les Brown, <laughs> who's one of my favourite motivational speakers. What a guy. He did a speech. I'm going to put the link for that video clip in the text when we this video goes live on YouTube, in the text below. That speech I'm going to post, it's about 10 minutes long, and it's about how he got into radio. And that motivated me like you can't believe. And then I went and got my own radio show. And Jill, the station manager at Solver City Radio, I went back and I went back and I went back again. I think I just wore her down and she gave in in the end because I was so determined. And I went in, I even had my own jingle, the show format, everything. And Jill's been amazing. She's been wonderful. Yeah. A book that changed your life that you said you read was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. I've not read the book, but I'm aware of the book. It's supposed to be very good. Then you started doing daily affirmations in the car whilst taking Marley to school. Utilise that. The car period's great because I did... If I go on a long journey, I listen to an audiobook. Yeah. I don't have time to read as much as I used to. I used to read two or three books a week. Now I don't really get that time. But if I'm on a long journey, stick on a Wayne Dyer or Sadhguru, whatever it is, Inner Engineering, put on an audiobook. And I can do an entire audiobook on a long journey, yeah. you know. And you started doing boxing and pad work for anger release and meditation as well. And you were a stunt woman. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. But... Clearly, you were on a mission to put yourself back together, a mission of wellness and healing, and it shows. You know, you've 
you put yourself back together remarkably well, Hayley. You really are. Thank you. Yeah. So the reason why I did the therapies was there was people that I'd meet for the first time and I'd say to them, um, this is not the real Hayley. You know, you've got depression and, and you don't feel like yourself. And you're like, honestly, when I get better, I'm not usually like this. Yeah. So I just had this like burning desire inside of me to feel like me again. And that's why I went on the mission with the, you know, the natural therapies. And I got a bit addicted to them because I enjoyed them so much. Well, to be honest, it's a healthy addiction. If you're doing something, it makes you feel good. And, and it's benefiting your health, mental yeah. and physical. Then go for it. Do as much as you like. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's definitely a healthy addiction. That There are healthy addictions. I do ultra running. Did Ironman and then 50-mile races and 100-mile races. And although... It's definitely, I'm a bit obsessive with it, with the running. It's it's a better addiction than cocaine, ecstasy and all the other drugs I used to take. So, yeah. you know, there are what I'd call healthy addictions. At this point then, Hayley, this is in the notes, turning point. This is where I think everything starts going, you're going downhill now and everything gets a bit easier and you start helping people, everything you're doing Initially, you start working in a, a mental health cafe. Yeah, I did some volunteering in a mental health cafe. So my sister, Zoe, um, she actually suffers bipolar. So she was the one person at the time who really knew how to help me to get better. And she, when you have high, high levels of anxiety, you really struggle to eat sometimes. So it had been about two weeks and I'd not been able to eat any food. And she took me for a mindfulness walk around where she lived and then she took me into the cafe for some food. And I met a girl there called Steph, who is now one of my best friends. And they gave me um, a couple of days a week to do some voluntary work because you know what it's like when you overthink all the time. So yes. I just wanted to work somewhere where it was a busy environment and I could, you know, just get out of my own head. A lot of people find that if their mind's really busy, a distraction is to do something in the external world. Stay busy and it detracts from your dealing with what, what's going on inside for a while, and it can help to a some point, you know. That's why some people become workaholics, because they don't want to deal with the shit, so they get stuck yeah. into work. But on the flip side to that, can be very healthy when you've got a lot going on in your, your mind to do to start to re-engage and do some activity, and especially if you're doing it in service where you're helping other people, then that's beautiful. At this point, then, you manage to get some guidance and advice to help you start your own salon again. Yeah, so it was really lucky because the people that ran the, the mental health cafe, they also like a, an enterprise where they help people to get back on their feet who have suffered mental illness. So I rang up the startup government loans the first time and I didn't know quite what to say. So they denied my request. For, Did you say, give me your money? Yeah, give yeah. me all your money. <laughs> <laughs> and basically they said no. Computer says no. So I spoke to the lady who ran the enterprise and she luckily used to work for him. So, uh -huh, so she yeah. rang up the head guy and she told him my whole situation and he basically said on the phone, how much does she want? And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. That's um, synchronicity and alignment there for you. Yeah, You know, having somebody to help you who knew exactly what to say or what to do. Yeah. And also the shop next door, it was only me and my friend. We called in there because my friend was buying a mug for a mate's birthday. And I just said to them, oh, when I get my own salon, I'm going to be looking for... Um, some uniforms to get made, how much would you charge me for them? And they said, well, where's your premises? And I said, to be honest, I haven't found anywhere yet. And they said, well, we leave here next month. And also there's a flat upstairs, so you're welcome to it. And I was like, wow. Is that where you live now? 
Yeah. Yes. So I live awesome. there now with Marley upstairs. So I got a house back. I got I got my business back, and now it has so much more purpose behind it. So yeah. This salon, although we might call it a salon, you do lots of other things there. I'm not going to read the list, you tell us, but I was amazed. Yeah, we do do a lot there. We do. We do all of uh, natural, holistic therapies. I also help women to feel more confident about the hair. So I specialise in great lengths hair extensions to, as, as you get older, your hair starts to thin. So I help women to thicken out the hair. I also do um, meditation workshops with my clients. We do self-confidence workshops. We also teach women about the law of attraction and money yeah. mindset and, yeah, everything, really. You also have a, a well-being garden for yoga and art therapy, is that right? Yeah, so when my salon was first closed in the first lockdown, I got a little bit of um, help off the government and I decided that, I needed to put it to some good use. So I actually created a wellbeing garden so that I can help the community of Stockport um, grow organic fruits and veg and also um, do meditation, yoga, art therapies, everything. Tell us a bit about, because you've mentioned wellbeing products and particularly ketones. So yeah. I've taken them, but yeah. for people at home, maybe tell us what they are and what they do. Yeah, so for anyone that's heard of like the keto diet, there's a lot of health benefits around it. They've done loads of science and loads of research that, you know, if you're on a keto diet, then you get a lot better mental clarity, better focus, you get a more sustainable energy source throughout the day. So instead of taking, you know, having glucose and, you know, when you can kind of have that, that granny nap in the afternoon because you, your, your energy levels drop, with ketones, you don't get that. Yep. So it's a little bit of a biohack, really. So what happens is you can either do the keto diet and get the results, or you can drink this drink, and it's the first ever bioidentical ketone that our body already produces. So you drink the drink, and within 60 minutes, your body's in full ketosis. So you feel really good. I yeah. and, and for me as well, it's more mentally like I stop overthinking as much and, and over-procrastinating. I think... Overthinking can be a gift sometimes if you want to reflect on things. But then I also think there can be unhealthy yeah. patterns of overthinking. I think for most people, overthinking's not great, you know. Yeah. And so does this also then perhaps stop the mood swings, the yes, ups and downs? Yes, it does. You're a lot more, it's like a mood, like you get more of a mood stability. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just another one of my tools to add to my, my list of of things that help me on a daily basis, but they've they've really helped me a lot. Yeah. There was two things you put in your notes which stood out for me in this list of all the wonderful things you do yeah. at, let me get this right, Zeno's. Yay! <laughs> Zeno's Haven. And I'll read what they are. The silent chair days for clients with anxiety. Yeah. I'd never heard of that. Tell us about that. Yeah, I really like that one. So the main ethos that we have about our salon is we want people to walk through the door and immediately feel at home. I don't know if you, well, you've probably never been to a salon, but... When I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> but the worst thing that we always get is that if you walk into a salon and you just feel awkward and we don't want our clients to feel that way. So they can ring up and they can request the silent chair. So after we've done the initial consultation, the client can sit down and we can leave them in peace for the next two hours and do the hair in silence. See, 
I want to come now just for that, even though I'm not anxious. I'll give you <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> and then the second thing was the no mirror days. Yeah. What's that? We got a lot of a lot of feedback when I was talking about the silent chair, and and a lot of ladies were saying that they find it really difficult when they've got colour on their hair to sit and look at themselves in the mirror, which is really it's really sad, really, that a lot of women feel that way. Yeah. So now I offer there is a, a back room where I take all the mirrors down, and you don't have to stare at yourself for for two hours if you don't want to. Yeah. See, this all came about although you've had a rough ride and difficult times and difficult situations yeah. and you've been through trauma if you hadn't have done that you wouldn't be doing this now because exactly. you've had those experiences yeah. you know are thinking along that mindset of how can i make this easier for people that are anxious or people that are body dysmorphia or people yeah. you know you're you're seeing it from the perspective so yeah. it's actually a wonderful thing although it isn't great at the time yeah. you now have a a centre, your salon, that's for people to go and get beauty treatments that aren't great mentally, that are struggling a bit. Definitely. I just think that I, I, I never, ever want, and I know some people will go to rock bottom, but I, because I know that feeling and I know how hard it is, if I can do anything in my power to help people before they get there, then I will do. A lot of things I do, I do online as well uh, in my workshops is the morning routine. Because for me, I think in the morning, if you can get your mindset right, then the rest of your day goes right. So, yeah. you know, you've got to have control over your mind and not let your mind control you. So if I'm feeling a little bit off in the morning, instantly I'll get YouTube on and I'll listen to Les Brown and I'll be like, right, I'm ready to go yeah. now. Or I'll do a bit of exercise and a little bit of meditation and you know that that is that it's called a power hour that can help you so much if it, have you read the book um hal elrod i don't think so no yeah. oh, God, i can't remember what it's called now but he's got an incredible book out and it's all about that that hour in the that morning reset yeah. yeah i think if you set out on your day with a peaceful mind feeling good you can still get knocked off your balance you but you've a far better chance of success than if you set off once you, if you ain't feeling great in the morning and you go through your day like that, it's a lot harder to reset then. It's much easier to get it right in the morning and set off right. You know, yeah. that gives you a better chance of getting through the day in one piece. Yeah. You know, that might sound drastic, but believe me, when I was struggling, that was what it was about. It was just surviving a day at a time. Yeah. You know, every day was a challenge. Definitely. And I think as well, for me, I've never really had like healthy boundaries or much discipline. So at the moment, I'm really trying to work on my discipline and making sure that every morning I'm up at the right time. Um, oh, the Hal Elrod book's called uh, My Miracle Morning. Yep. And it's it's just like a series of making sure you read like 10 pages out of a book that inspire you and, you know, just trying to get that discipline in every day of the week. It's establishing a healthy routine and that requires a bit of discipline. You need to know what works for you. So I say in the book, From Pills to Peace, you've got to try the 10 to find the 2. Try loads of new stuff. It's not all going to work for you. Yeah. But in order to find the two that do, you've got to try the other stuff. So find those things. Figure out what works for you. And then once you have them, regiment it in your daily routine. And it needs to become part of your routine. For example, meditation. If you don't meditate in the morning and then it comes to 11 o'clock, oh, I'll do it at lunch. And then you're busy at lunch. And yeah. You get to tea time. You get home. You've had your tea. You're tired. It doesn't happen. Attach it to cleaning your teeth because... You don't have to tell yourself to clean your teeth. That is integral in your routine. Mm -hmm. So attach meditation. When you clean your teeth, you meditate. 
when you clean your teeth, you meditate, make it part of your routine, integral to your day. And that requires a bit of discipline. But if you can do that and you figure out the things that work for you, for me, meditation and yoga are two of those things, then you've got a really good chance of having a peaceful day, establishing that routine, you know, and getting what I call a sustainable rhythm instead of having... You don't want to be really, really happy, but then be really miserable and doing this. What you want is just to be peaceful. What I've done as well to integrate it in, if you've not got much time, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Louise Hayes who did the uh, the, the mirror, like the self-love mirror. So what I do now is if I've not got time to do my affirmations, when I'm doing my workout in the morning or I'm doing squats in the mirror or something, I'll be every squat I'll do, I'll look in the mirror and be like, I love you, Hayley. I love you, Hayley. You know, just... (laughs) I've got it. (laughs) You've got to be able to laugh at yourself and see this humour. I have pictures of you in a... Uh, a leotard with some weights on your shoulders doing squats in the mirror. I love you, Hayley. I love That's you, exactly Hayley. Exactly <laughs> I love you, Sean. Really He's brilliant. But it's funny work. too. Yeah, and it, and it condenses your time down as well. And another yeah. thing as well is discipline. I used to always see it as a negative, whereas now I've reframed it. So for me, I now tell myself discipline is a form of self-love. And at the minute I'm working on self-love. So it's, yeah. Yeah. People think that maybe things are just going to take care of themselves. And I, I do trust in the universe that on my general life path, that's going to happen. But for me to put myself back together again, it was hard work. Yeah. It took a long time. And, you know, it's not perfect now. But, you you know, it does, as I say, it's dead easy. Discipline, effort and dedication, dead easy. In order to get where you want to go, you've got to put put yourself into it. You know, the universe will take you there, but it helps if you cooperate, (laughs) you know, give it a fighting chance. It's like the joke where the guy speaks to God and he says, please let me win the lottery. And he says, well, for fuck's sake, buy a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you, uh, you do what you can anyway. (laughs) 